This is the fear of science. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Fear of Science, the show that dives into the wide world of science and science-adjacent topics to demystify, debunk, and delight. Each show features a new science fear, a new topic of discussion, along with special guests and surprises and discoveries along the way. My name is Daniel Chai. And I'm Jeff Porter. And we are here for episode number 34, being recorded at the beautiful Vancouver Public Library in downtown Vancouver. And episode number 34 is... The Fear of Empathy. And yeah. luckily joining us in studio is uh, two, two guests to help us uh, dive into what is empathy and learn a little bit more about this thing that I really think that more of us need to, uh, to learn and to perhaps even uh, uh, have more of it in our lives. So... Mm. Uh, who do we have joining us in studio today? Hi, uh, I'm Julie Peters, and I am a yoga teacher, and I run Ocean and Crow Yoga Studio here in Vancouver. Um, and I'm also a writer, so I'm a staff writer for Spirituality and Health magazine, and I just had my second book come out um, this last year, and it's called Want, Eight Steps to Recovering Desire, Passion, and Pleasure After Sexual Assault, so all about recovering from trauma. Thank nice. you for being yeah, here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And uh, I'm Steve City. I'm much less established. <laughs> I would love to write a book one day. But uh, I'm Steve City. I'm a comedian, and I do sketch and stand-up, and I'm the coordinator at Comedy Here Often at the 604 record label in Vancouver. Yeah. Nice. Welcome, both of you. So uh, usually uh, with each episode, um, I ask what the fear is, but I'm actually going to hold that one off a little bit. I, I first kind of want to define what empathy is, what, what we're talking about um, for empathy. So when I say the word empathy, what, what do we think of? of? Yeah, so um, I think it's a really good question to define empathy because I think a lot of people think they know what it is or have a sense of what it is but don't necessarily have a really good grasp on it. Um, and so when I think of empathy, I really think of feeling with as opposed to feeling for. Mm. Um, so empathy, um, well, sympathy is um, sort of having your own reactions in watching someone else go through something. So sympathy is kind of about you, uh, whereas empathy really means uh, feeling with the other person. So the emotions that you're having in your body are related to what you're seeing happen with somebody else. So you're really kind of stepping into their experience and you're trying to feel with them. So empathy is about the other person, whereas sympathy is about you. So that's one mm -hmm. way that I think about it. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. That was, uh, yeah, that was pretty much like nailed what I was going to say almost. I was going to open and be like, empathy, I know what empathy is not and it's not sympathy. Right. It's very, yeah. They're very yeah. different in that sense. But yeah, I think empathy is just listening. Honestly, it's just shutting up and just listening to another person and just hearing that. Yeah, and understanding, trying to to kind of hear the other person's point of view mm -hmm. and not putting yourself into it as well. Uh, I think that's why in Star Trek Generation, uh, the next generation, excuse me, uh, Counselor Deanna Troy was an empath. An empath, right? And yeah. and she was, if my memory serves me correct, she was quite good at listening and, and uh, making other people feel better and like connecting with them but that was her power as a betazoid 
Yes. Yes. All right, so yeah. <laughs> just a little. What if she uh, was like a terrible stuff. empath and just didn't listen? <laughs> She's like, I already know what you're thinking. I know, I know, I hear it. I don't want to help. Um, but yeah, uh, I, now it's you know in this day and age, as we become more attuned with with uh, with other people and connecting with our ourselves and our emotional needs and other people emotional needs, um, and we are. Um, as of the recording of this today in, across Canada is is the Bell Let's Talk Day. Oh yeah, which is uh, about you know uh, sharing people you know our own and connecting with other people's mental health stories. So I think this is a very appropriate episode to be recording today. Yeah, so. I totally planned that. That was <laughs> totally on purpose. Now, uh, now I do have a question for you, Jeff, uh, because uh, uh, Jeff, you come up with a lot of the topics here for Fear of Science. What inspired you to to bring us together and put this episode out for our Fear of Science listeners? I think a lot of it is that we've done so many episodes now where it's all about communication. Like we, we talk about what's the fear of this subject and it comes down to that people don't talk enough or people don't communicate enough. And I think empathy is part of that as well, where even if we're talking to each other, I don't think people are, are trying to see other point, people's points of view or really understand the other person. They're just talking at someone rather than talking with somebody. So I kind of wanted to dive into the idea of empathy and how important that is in conversations as well. Thank you. Uh, now, for for our two guests, uh, do you find that uh, empathy, whether or not you even realize it, uh, is empathy something that you use in your respective fields of work, uh, whether it be uh, you know running a comedy label, running a uh, a yoga studio? Is it something that you use with people, or even in your your everyday work? Yeah. You go for it. <laughs> They're so empathetic towards yeah, each exactly. other. Exactly. <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. Um, I think empathy is probably the core of what I do in a lot of ways. Um, and one of the things that I'm thinking about around this conversation with empathy is that for me, um, feeling any emotion requires being connected to your body. Um, so we're not in a culture that's super good at feeling feelings. Um, we don't encourage people to really feel and express emotions appropriately. So a lot of the time, most of us are just kind of numb or we're pretending not to feel things that we're really feeling. Um, and we're disconnected from our bodies. And so um, the yoga practice, probably the most useful thing about it for me, um, specifically in my recovery from sexual assault, was really kind of coming back to like it being okay for me to feel all the things that I'm feeling and having some strategies to feel that. Um, and so the work that I do now, um, I work privately with people and we do um, like mindfulness coaching could be a phrase that you use to to call it. I'm not sure exactly what to call it, but um, we work very closely and intimately together and empathy is really the magic of what I'm doing there. So as I'm listening, I'm also feeling. And sometimes uh, there can be touch, consensual touch involved as well. I'll have my hand on them and I'm feeling the things that they're feeling. I'm, I'm going through it with them. Um, and so one of the most important tools for me to be able to do that job is having an awareness of my body and what's coming up for me and what emotions are happening for me, because then I can bring that into the conversation and help and sort of um, create a space for, for the person I'm working with to really uh, let those feelings be okay and for us to work on them together and really be in the room together. Um, and I really find that when you're doing that kind of work, especially when I'm working with trauma survivors, one of the most powerful um, 
tools for healing, I think, is witnessing, just having someone be there with you, not telling you what to feel about it or finding solutions or fixing it for you, but just really genuinely being with you in that emotion. And so for me, empathy is really intimate, which is why it might be kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. That was solid. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, empathy is just like it's an ongoing journey kind of thing where I think I wasn't I wasn't aware of what empathy truly was until I was much older in life. Because I think I went a long time. Um, I grew up in Southern Alberta, for anyone who doesn't know this, of course. But uh, I grew up in Southern Alberta, Mess and Hat, and I'm like biracial and queer, which now it doesn't feel like anything. Now it's just like, oh, yeah, it's just who you are. But growing up, I think I was such in a survival mode right. where it was just self-preservation. And I turned into like a very mean person because it was just defensive. It was just a way of protecting my just porcupine style just didn't want anyone near me or anything and then as I got older I couldn't I couldn't comprehend why people were mean or why people were any any negative thing really and so once I finally like stopped and thought about like we'll get into their mindset think about how they're thinking even though if you don't agree with it which is the hardest part the hardest part is just putting your own things aside and just listening to other people's perspectives because even though you don't agree with it you'll learn why they think the way they think and why they do what they do right and once I started doing that changed my life in the sense where I was much calmer person I was much nicer because I was just like oh well they're going through something too or maybe they just literally don't know better which sounds like an excuse but I think in a way it's more like it's like a, a symptom of the problem of just being like well yeah if they don't know then they uh, why would they change who they are or why they're talking to you because they don't have any experience they have no knowledge so if I stopped and thought about it and then put myself in their shoes and find a way to communicate my perspective to them it was different night and day Right. Like just exchanges would happen. And now in my everyday life, yeah, it's how I just navigate through everything. Like even just emails, as stupid as it is, emails are, oh my God, it's a new thing I've had to learn as part of my job. But it's just fascinating to see that there's a whole universe around it oh. and how you listen and portray yourself. I will sit and read an email like 10 times before I send it, even though if it's dumb, <laughs> yeah. it's nothing. It's just like, good job. Like I will still think about <laughs> it. And I, am, I, I am horrible at sending emails. I... I, I like to think of myself as an empathetic person, but when I send emails, I become like the most blunt person in the world because I'm just focused on, okay, this is what needs to be done. Here's the information. Let's get it done. Mm -hmm. And not realizing people read that differently. Oh, there's, there's actually, um, Grammarly is um, an extension that you can get on Chrome. Do you have this? It will stop no, my email from say, uh, it, it actually will show you a little emoji that, that shows you the mood of the email that you're writing. The tone? <laughs> it oh, the tone. Yes. Grammarly, if you're listening, uh, we could use a sponsor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Does it work with Outlook? Can I get an Outlook? <laughs> uh, yeah, you just need it on uh, your browser. The browser. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. a public utility. Yeah. Like yeah. light yeah. and water. We, yeah. We, we, like we need, <laughs> we need uh, something like that. And it's listening. much harder to portray what you really feel about something over text, right? Like yeah. It's, oh, for it's, sure. When you're in person, it's so much easier to pick up on the cues of like what the person means and all of that stuff. And email can be really hard. Yeah. I think a lot of my communication is very very much based on my my vocal cues mm. um and the way i say things so i can say something really blunt to somebody but it doesn't sound blunt but not realizing i'm being actually pretty blunt wow. <laughs> uh now uh, uh you know of course while we talk about um you know i'm very glad that we know and, and are empathetic people um and at the same time while there is you know, somewhat of a movement for people to connect with ourselves and connect with other people, you know, unfortunately at the same time, you know, uh, there are definitely 
it can seem like like society and people are are closed off and are becoming more um, me against the world um, uh, gotta look up for number one and uh, it's you know uh, it's uh, me first right mm-hmm. and perhaps it's even like a you know um, for so long I gave so much of myself and I didn't get anything back so now it's all now I'm just taking care of myself uh, why why are some people afraid of being empathetic or even not even uh, wanting to learn about empathy and just like no nah, I'm good yeah I think in order to um, consider someone else's perspective and feel with someone else you have to be willing to feel your own feelings I think that's the reason why it's so hard um, and again because like most of us are just not really we just don't really have any training like from our first families or from school or anywhere like who teaches us how to feel our feelings like we just we don't learn that you know um, and so you know especially if you're in a in a conversation with someone where someone has a different opinion from you um, there's a discomfort there, right? Like it feels uncomfortable to consider somebody else's perspective and it can feel threatening. And I think there's also kind of a fear of shame or a fear of shaming. Like if you say the wrong thing or if someone doesn't mm-hmm. like what you have to say, um, you know, we're also kind of in a moment where we use a lot of social media to talk to each other and people on social media don't have to be empathetic because they're not in the room with somebody. We're just talking about how text is harder to kind of like get your point across. It's also harder to see someone as a human being when you're just seeing some text in front of you, right? right. And so it's much easier to just be like, you're an asshole and I don't care what you think and whatever, and then just kind of, you know, cancel that person for yourself. Um, You know, empathy is much harder work than that. You have to be really present with what you're feeling, how you're uncomfortable, where you're afraid of saying the wrong thing, or where you're afraid of judgment or what somebody's going to think of you. It's much easier to just say, I have my opinions end of story you have yours i hate everybody else like it's a safer safer place i think feels more protected and my in my research as well i found out one of the fears of of people being empathetic is validating the other person's opinion Mm. um so by by seeing someone's opinion or point of view that's different than yours you're in a way validating what they're saying to be true as well oh i love watching like videos of when they get like two groups of people who have very differing opinions on something and they just make them hash it out. Yeah. One I what saw was that commercial <laughs> Heineken, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Heineken. What was the one I saw recently? It was like um Flat Earthers. Oh god. <laughs> and it was just super fascinating to see like right. professionals who are very educated, who are leaders in the science of this and as if there's a, you know, a head of the earth being round but i just think it's hilarious that there's these people who are from very different like scientific like backgrounds all come together just trying to be like okay explain to me again why you feel this way like i love that concept of like you're saying just seeing that uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and i love seeing people be uncomfortable and just kind of work through it but my favorite part is when you can see someone actually take a deep breath let their guard down and be like okay why do you feel that way like why do you think that way and you see the other person get scared. You yeah. see them really get panicked because it's almost like no one ever asked them, why do you feel that way? Mm-hmm. And then they have nothing to really stand on. And mm-hmm. I, I love watching that moment because it's so raw and it's very uncomfortable, but it's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, kind of the original idea for this show was uh, to have two people with opposite points mm-hmm. of view talking about something. But the more we talked about it, the more we realized Daniel and I don't have a counseling or a psychology background mm-hmm. so or mediation, we're, background. Or mediation <laughs> so we're not we're not the people to do 
a healthy conversation between two people with opposite points of view. I think that would just have been very uncomfortable. Now, uh, uh, Steve, question for you. Sure. So, uh, where does uh, you know we're we're talking about you know emp- empathy and trying to uh, feel someone else's point of view, learn someone else's point of view. Uh, some of my favorite comedians, favorite stand-up comedians, have points of view that are very, uh, very forceful and very, uh, very. Uh, and sometimes they are different than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, do you feel that uh, that good comics at, need to have some level of empathy in order to work on the material and connect with the audience? Or, um, or yeah, wh- where does where does that fit in? I think the the best comics are empathetic, even though they may not show it off the bat like because I think there is I think there's a very big confusion where people assume that if you're public speaking all of a sudden you're you you know you're an authority of some sort Mm, and people just have that misconception and I think that's and especially when you're in a comedy club it's very different because it's it's a very different setting it's a comedy setting where like it's you know you want to tell everyone you're like okay these are not professional like they are professionals in comedy but they're not like professionals in the field of what they're talking about they're just human beings talking about their their idea of how they see things, which I don't agree with. Like I worked at a comedy club for years. Like I was the popcorn guy at Yuck Yucks for like years. So I had to sit through so many things and I didn't agree with a lot of them, but the best comics were people who were attuned. Even if they mm-hmm. had an opinion that they knew was unpopular, that right. was fascinating because they knew it was unpopular, but they would fight for it. They're like, okay, here, let me try and explain it to you this way, that way. Right. And at least I will take that, the partial credit for even trying to connect. I agree. Right. Yeah, right? Like, yeah, I think it's even like, um, it, is empathy the uh, is empathy also being able to go? I may not agree with you, but I can see where you're coming from. Empathy is not 100. percent That's the thing. It's what it, that's. I need black and white. I <laughs> yeah. need uh, I need firm answer. Well, that the was... world's not black and white, Daniel. <laughs> 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 well, I remember like learning about stereotypes, and like in university we learned about psychology of stereotyping people, and it's just a cognitive shortcut. It's your brain not wanting to take the time and effort to actually learn about an individual and just putting what cues you can pick up and just make it from there right and i found that fascinating when someone just explained to me it's just a cognitive shortcut you're just lazy and you don't want to really make an opinion about something and so i just always love that that concept of just i have moments like that where i have to tell myself like you're being lazy right now you're not mm-hmm. really trying to understand this person do you think you can learn to be empathetic or do you think it's something that just kind of naturally happens just a question that came to my mind <laughs> Or I, I, I hope yeah. you can learn to be empathetic for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that you know, some some people are naturally very empathetic, um, and you know, those people also tend to be quite sensitive. Um, the sort of people who are always looking around to see what the mood is in the room and how somebody else is feeling. Um, and sometimes that comes from something that they learned as a kid, actually, that that was how to be safest in their environment was to watch out for what everybody else was doing. Um, and, you know, sensitive people do tend to um, be a little bit more vulnerable because, again, if you are empathetic, that means you're not just noticing that other people are feeling things. You're feeling things with the people who are right. feeling things. So you kind of pick up on what everybody else is going through. So if you're an empathetic person like me, you have to really learn your boundaries very well and you yeah. have to get really good at that. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely I think that you can. And I think like. Steve was saying that, you know, it's a bit of a laziness or a cognitive shortcut. Like it's not 
we, we can take the time and, and make the effort to sit there and think about someone's someone else's perspective. And I think so many of us have had a moment where, you know, we've had that, where we've sort of seen the the from somebody else's side and it's been this kind of mind-blowing moment of like whoa it's really tickles my brain to have a moment of you know seeing where somebody else is coming from even if I don't agree and letting that be okay so yeah I think it's a skill set really but some people do have more training from childhood or maybe just are like that in their personality a bit more but yeah I I sure hope we can all learn to do that Mm -hmm. maybe not a sociopath yeah yeah that's it that would be it yeah I think a great lesson ties into kind of what you're saying was like I I think I witnessed it the most I don't think I saw it in myself the development of empathy that well but I saw it most clearly watching my father because it was fascinating to see him kind of like growing up and he uh, my family we have there's two children it's me and my sister who's a little bit older than me and we're both queer and they and my dad's like from Nairobi Kenya he's not very like you know to him it's just it's not that he's anti anything at the time it was just more like it was just something he's never been confronted with it's not something he ever had to deal with it was very shocking to him because I think other people have talked about this, but I think it took me a long time to understand why it was a struggle for my parents to deal with me coming out or my sister coming out. Because in my mind, I was like, we're your kids. Why wouldn't you just be on board with this? And then yeah. once I finally stopped and like thought about it, I was like, they're not right off the bat being like, we don't like you. It's just them being like, we've never been introduced to this environment. We don't mm-hmm. know what you're going through because we didn't talk a lot. Because I think me and my sister both, it was something that came to us like more clearly as we got older. We're like, oh my God, we just didn't talk to each other as a family because we were afraid of communicating and confronting our own emotions and stuff but it was once I actually stopped and like thought about my dad I'm like he grew up in Nairobi Kenya he joined like the military when he was like 15 years old yeah he has a very different mindset of how to survive in this world and then once he saw me and my sister thrive in life and do fine and be who we are then he relaxed then he was mm-hmm. like oh you're fine like you're yeah. good people you're like I think my parents were mostly just worried about a physical endangerment yeah. of me and my sister kind of dealing with that. But once they realized, like, oh, no, you trained as well. Like, we did martial arts growing up. I think that's a, that a joke I do in comedy where I, like, laugh, where I'm like, I think my dad knew I was gay when he put me in Taekwondo. Because he was like, people are going to hit you. Like, But it, that was his way of being like, I love you, and I can't be there for you all the time, but I know you're a good person. I need you to have the tools at your right. disposal to take care of yourself. And it took me years to figure out. I literally, I hated him so much. I was like, why are we doing Taekwondo five days a week? Why are we doing this? Like, why are you doing this five to me? Five days a week? It's a lot. Wow. Uh, what, Six. What belt? What belt? I made it to Black Stripe. Oh, and then okay. I was too young to do the Black Belt test. And at that point, I had just checked out mentally. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out. But again, like, it took me years after to realize, like, oh, that was my dad's way of being like, I'm trying to help you. This yeah. is my way of showing it to you. And so I think that was like a harsh lesson to learn was like, oh my God, I spent like 10 years not liking this man, yeah. <laughs> but he was just trying to help me. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, I made it to black belt in Taekwondo. Respect. That's what? not easy. Uh, it's not easy. But uh, I, if my memory serves me correct, I made it to black belt when I was 12 years old. What? And, uh, or maybe 13. Yeah. But did we break some rules? You might've broken some rules because they, or maybe they just didn't like me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is very fair. I was like, not a yeah, nice student. Can't get it. I but, was the uh, worst yeah. student. Uh, uh, I, I still know how to do the first Pumse. You know the oh yeah the, right? the first yeah yeah you just, just go four four directions you just yeah go, that's right yeah. yeah left left and then kicks yeah. yeah um but other than that I know I can't basically the amount of taekwondo I know is the amount of Mandarin that I know 
<laughs> is that a lot? <laughs> but you know, that was actually yeah. martial arts. Though was a good part. Like Taekwondo was a very specifically interesting one. It's the only one I have experience with, so maybe I'm wrong in this. But Taekwondo was very. It wasn't aggressive. It was never an art that was like you're looking for a fight. That was never the context at all. It was always like fighting is last resort. Right. Fighting is defending yourself. Otherwise, like it's not worth it. That's what they taught you. They're like, it takes twice as much energy to throw a punch and miss than it does to block. Oh, sorry, to block a punch. So to uh, me, that was fascinating. Where they're just teaching you that. Well, I mean, like uh, martial arts is very much a. a it's, am I wrong in thinking that my, uh, martial arts is also very like mindfulness and tells you to look inside and be introspective and and follow the way of the warrior. I don't know. I think it ties to yoga, though, in the sense where it's being in tune with your body. Because I think when you're in tune with your body, you're listening on a very different level. And then you learn to listen in other ways. Because then you have to learn to listen to whoever you're fighting, and you watch them. You don't you don't attack first. You watch them, and you listen to what they're doing, and you read them, and then you act accordingly. But my body is telling me it wants cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> my experience with martial arts is uh, the two weeks I took karate and uh, when I was a kid. And then they made us do like 400 push-ups in one class. And then I was like, wow, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> never again. And I never went back. That's aggressive. Yeah. We had a bad karate teacher. <laughs> now, uh, in rural Manitoba. <laughs> now, uh, for, for those listening uh, to this podcast, um, you know, what if there are some people out there, uh, and I've had some conversations with some people who, who feel that they are almost, that, that they feel, that they wish they weren't so empathetic that they feel mm. that that they do you know that they they almost feel compelled to do emotional labor for people to always be there for people to always listen and they don't know how to set boundaries for themselves or for other people um is there such a thing as too much empathy it's a double-edged sword for sure i think so yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you can be really really sensitive to the people around you and empathy takes a lot of um, I mean, I think of empathy as a sort of intimacy, right? It's it's like getting really close to someone and really doing your best to understand where they're coming from. Um, and we don't have the capacity to do that all the time. There's a reason we have cognitive shortcuts, right? Like our brains have a lot of work to do um, and constantly picking up on everyone else's feelings is not going to work. Um, and I also know that a lot of people who teach yoga or are massage therapists or are counselors or are in any way sort of in the helping field, um, you know, people tend to gravitate, gravitate towards those uh, careers when they are generally empathetic people. Um, and these folks tend to find that they will sort of, it's almost like you're, you're catching <laughs> the energy from people that you touch or people that you interact mm -hmm. with. And then you're kind of like you get this weird mood or something and you don't really know what to do with it. Um, and so those boundaries are something that I've really had to learn a lot. And, you know, there are a lot of ways to think about that. I think creating boundaries is quite challenging because you, ha it, you, you have to know that it's okay for you to not always be helping people in order mm -hmm. to have appropriate boundaries. You have to know that you have enough worth just in and of yourself without being needed by somebody, <laughs> you know, right. in order to have appropriate boundaries. Like there's some sort of deeper reasons why some of us have a really hard time setting boundaries. And I'm speaking for myself here. But, um, you know, there are practices that you can do and ways that you can approach that, I think, that can help you to release the energies. And like, you know, I, I sort of do it in a little bit of a woo-woo, like how do I release energy from my body sort of way. But really what I'm doing is uh, reminding myself that it's okay for me to not hold on to this. Mm -hmm. um, it's okay for me to just stay in my own mind and it's okay for me to let other people um, 
like trust trust that other people can hold their stuff that you don't always have to hold it for them right right mm -hmm. um, that's a really really great point yeah. yeah and I think everybody has has come across someone in their life who's like an emotional vampire mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. that just pulls from you but never gives back and I think for me it, it I probably wasn't until my late 20s that I really realized that that people were like that and there were a fair amount of people like that in my life where I was just like this this friend of mine is giving me nothing back in return mm. it's just always taking from me so I think that's kind of something you have to learn on your own eventually yeah I had a question a little while ago for myself around those kinds of, of, of issues which was um, you know, you can't control what other people are doing out in the world. And um, but something that I can kind of ask myself is like, how much influence does this person have on my internal experience? Like, mm -hmm. how much am I letting this person in to influence like how I feel about myself or what I'm going to do or how much I'm thinking about them during the day? And so, you know, sometimes a boundary is really kind of like a deeply internal thing where it's sort of a, a choice that you make with yourself. Um, again, just to kind of remind yourself, like, I don't have to hold on to that. I don't need to. Uh, let that person in. I don't need to worry so much about what that person thinks about me, which can be a, quite a difficult thing to do, but it mm -hmm. is sort of a, an internal boundary rather than, you know, an external physical boundary where you're, you're, you know, setting a physical limit. It's, it's more so how am I letting this person in? Right, right. I think it's the whole topic of empathy, though, is kind of, I won't say gone out the window, but it, it the book is way bigger than we thought in the sense where now we're in social media phase, as we were like talking about before. It's just the world is so connected and we can just hear unfiltered thoughts. And it's like a giant, the world feels like a giant brain sometimes. It just feels like all the synapses have just connected all of a sudden and, and it's over. And we can also seek out only people who agree with us mm. yeah. <laughs> and Echo never chambers, never have yeah. any yeah, access you can to totally, any other perspective. You can cherry pick. Yeah. I would disagree with that to yeah. an extent. I don't think that we're necessarily connected. I think we are connected in the sense that we can talk to anyone at any point, but I don't think the internet makes us more actually connected. You're not emotionally yeah. connected. You're not invested in anybody. Mm -hmm. I think it actually makes us less connected to people. I think our awareness is just, it's hit overload right now for what our current capacity is that mm -hmm. we've kind of trained. I'm not, I, I think humans are very capable of adapting and I think we can learn to take on like the new kids. When you see like a new generation come up, like I finally feel old enough. I'm 30 now. I finally feel old <laughs> enough to be like, oh, the next generation. I see it now. Like I can see them. And I'm like, oh, you're very different than us. Yeah. Cause they've lived with internet. They've been born and raised on it. So they're much more aggressive and they're much more excited about everything because they're bombarded with it. And they haven't quite learned how to cope with it because we haven't as a whole. Like, the internet's only been like, I, yeah. I do miss the days when we weren't bombarded. Right? Yeah. Isn't it crazy to think about that? Yeah. Like, it's it's bizarre to I'm think about that. I'm holding onto my phone right now. It's not even on, but I'm holding it. Uh, <laughs> it's gotta be close by. Oh, no, it was just, yeah, it was a ghost notification. Yeah. But. but I think, like you were saying, like boundaries, like we have to create boundaries even in that world. You have to learn, like that's why when we were talking before we started recording, which is why I don't want to do Twitter. I don't, mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't think that's going to be helpful to me. Some people's very right. helpful to me. I'm like, I just feel like it's going to be one more vampire sucking yeah. off of me. I have to have really strong boundaries with the news. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. really, if like, I will feel sick, I'll cry. Like, mm. I just, you know, hearing Donald Trump's voice is just like very <laughs> triggering for All me, All you have I to guess. do is watch the morning but, um, news. So... And yeah, then so you just see here the weather and the the traffic over yeah. and over again. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So my my strategy with that is um, I like to listen to like a, one news podcast 
at the gym <laughs> so that as mm. I get stressed, I'm running. Smart. <laughs> Very smart. Mm. <laughs> Which I'm works smart. pretty well for me. And sometimes I have space to listen to more or read more news. But I find like if my phone is notifying me about terrifying things throughout mm. the day, like I can't filter that very well. Like I really need to, <laughs> I really need to have like times and places and spaces and activities that I'm doing when I'm receiving that kind of information because it's terrifying and it's curated to be terrifying. So you read more news, you know? Yeah, it's all clickbait. It is, yeah. That's I've become very aware of that now. Where like the more I watch, like my guilty pleasure is I love keeping up to date with the U.S. politics because it's just like a soap opera falling apart for you. I'm very aware though. I'm like, oh, this is real. Like this is not a joke. But it's watching the news, even though I there's some sources that I do trust. I take it with a grain of salt when the way they kind of explain the news to you because you're like, there's moments where you're like. You did not have to put it in that way. You, yeah. That is very much a personal like spin to how you could give the news. And I'm even when someone who I like, I'm still trying to fight with myself to be like, yeah, but the way they put it, that's not real. That's just them putting their own shit on it. And on top of that, I've tried to force myself to listen to like a Fox News segment. Because yeah. even though I don't agree with it, I want to understand the mentality. Like I genuinely, it's like cults. I'm fascinated by cults because I love the psychology behind it. I'm like, mm. how did we get here? How did How do you take in this information and be like, this is absolute. Yeah. I will believe this. I will push out everything else. I'm fascinated by that. I think it it really tells you how messed up our our uh, world is right now, with your statement of my guilty pleasure pleasure is the politics. Mm. Like that's, <laughs> I say that because I should pay more attention to Canadian politics, and I'm very like aware of like <laughs> municipal stuff. But I'm like I should be much for how much energy I'm putting into the U.S. I should put into the Canadian because that actually affects me more. Yeah, but it's like you said, clickbait. Yeah. I fall. I catch myself falling for that all the time. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, for for those again listening, now that we've talked about uh, about the various aspects of, of empathy, uh, perhaps one of our listeners may be thinking to themselves, "All right, I'm uh, I'm going to try one thing to be more empathetic in my day to day life. Maybe with the next person, uh, as I'm driving in the car, sitting next to someone listening to this podcast, I'm going to turn to that person and be empathetic." What is what are some ways that uh, that people may not know um, that they are either already being empathetic, or something that they can try to uh, to connect with someone on that level? Such a big question. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's a big like, question. Um, and honestly, the place that I would start with empathy is finding a way to get more honest with yourself about how you feel. Mm. Um, I don't wanna. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and the way to do that is like, say you're listening to the news. Breathe and pay attention to what your body is doing, right? And and I can imagine that if a lot more people paid attention to how they felt watching the news, they would be as freaked out as I get. Mm. Like it's really distressing. But we we just were so good at numbing out, right? So if we choose to like instead of numb out as we're listening, relax the belly. Most of our emotions are felt around the belly and chest. Like breathe down low and just see what's ha- what's actually happening. Like what are you feeling in your body? What are the, s- the sensations that are coming up? And just kind of practice being like, oh, there's a weird twinge in my stomach. Like what is that? Um, I think that might be anxiety. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense because I just heard this terrifying thing or whatever. And just like having more of a literacy about what's going on in your own body and how your own emotions are happening um, will naturally... Um, translate to being able to be more empathetic because as you're watching listening to someone talk about something the the key of it is really paying attending to what's happening in your own body as you're as you're watching or listening 
Um, there is also um, a little trick. This is actually like a trick, <laughs> like a hack for empathy that you can Ooh, do. Empathy hack. Yes. Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> um, so most of the time, we're not actually listening to each other. We're just waiting for our turn to speak. Mm, true. Um, or we're pre-reacting to what we expect the person to say. Um, so, you know, that same fight you always have with your partner is like, you know what role they play, you know what role you play, you're waiting for them to say the thing that makes you mad, and then you just react to that, and you wait to get your, your time in. And you're not actually looking at the individual human being who's sitting in front of you in that particular moment. So this is uh, related to actually the concept of non-attachment, like really allowing people to be who they actually are in that moment, rather than um, writing your story about them on top of what they're saying. Um, so rather than waiting to fill in the silence, what you can do is listen um, and just listen, just focus on listening instead of focusing on your own responses. And then when the person seems to have finished speaking, wait eight beats before you speak. Oh. It's very awkward, especially at first, but what it does is it, the, the primary thing it does actually is it lets the other person keep going if they want to. So often there's a little pause and there's a bit more. Maybe they weren't sure if they could say it. Maybe they weren't sure like if you were listening or whatever. And if there's a little bit of space, they keep going. And then you wait and then you have time to process what they're saying. Think about how you feel about it and then you can respond. So you're really giving yourself this little gap. Um, it is awkward. Okay, People will feel like if you start doing this out in the street, people are going to feel a bit strange about it. You can explain to people that you do that. But um, I started doing that as a regular practice in my intimate conversations. And I don't do the full eight beats anymore, but I feel like it really helped teach me how to like actually listen instead of just jumping in and having all my opinions right away. So you can actually take that home with you and put it in your pocket and try it if you want to. Eight beats. That's, huh. That's, that's solid. That's kind of similar to what I was going to say, where I was just going to say, like, don't give a response right away. Just say, okay, or... Mm. I hear you, you know, and just like you said, let it linger for a moment because maybe sometimes that person needs to hear their own opinion too out loud. You know what I mean? Like I've had moments like that where I've been saying a lot of nonsense, just spitting out of the mouth, just so mad. And then when the other person stops and just kind of looks at me and lets me reflect on, I'm like, oh, oh, maybe that's not what I wanted to say. You know what I mean? Like sometimes that's it too. Sometimes you have to hear yourself and be like, that's not what I want to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not do eight beats on the podcast, so that'd be a lot of uh, Super dinner. awkward on the podcast, <laughs> yeah, a lot of dinner. Uh, but it would really stretch that episode. It would, yeah. Really yeah. The um, two-hour-long episode, we did eight beats in between every sentence. But they'll, <laughs> felt, they'll felt hurt, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, are there other things that can be, be done in terms of, like, body posture? And, you know, if we're connecting with someone, uh, empathy, you know, is, is eye contact important? Is open body posture? Uh, I'm assuming Yes. Absolutely. I, I went to University of Lethbridge and I have like a degree in marketing and business and stuff like that, which I don't use at all. <laughs> Completely useless to me. But there were some very fascinating courses and that was one of them was um, how to handle a stressful situation where there's a, a sense of confrontation or you need to have a serious conversation with someone at your workplace. And there was really big things about that. They're like, do it in a neutral setting. Because if you bring someone into your office, you've already created a power dynamic. Right. If you have a desk in front of you separating, that's a huge separation of contact and communication. So they're like, do it in a place where both people feel equally safe and unsafe. Really, like you said, open body posture. Like, don't cross your arms. Like, I know it, it, I catch myself doing that and I have to uncross my arms very quickly. 
but it's just being very aware of like little things like that do make a difference. So I try, if I have to have like hard conversations with people, I will make in the most neutral setting as possible and be very aware of how I'm like placing my body. Hmm. You have to look relaxed, but not like too relaxed. You know what I mean? Like you're not paying attention, Yeah. but also not like you're, like you were saying before, like not waiting for your turn to get in there and say what you want to say. Just genuinely like be open and just be like, yeah, let's talk. Let's have a good chat. Mm-hmm. And put your phone away, right? Ooh, so oh, solid. Yeah. I mean, speaking of not you, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, put your phone away. <laughs> Can't help but notice. <laughs> but, um, you know, speaking of boundaries around social media and stuff like that, we have gotten speaking for myself again here, we have gotten real bad at having any moment of like idleness or boredom. Yeah. Um, and so the moment there's kind of a pause, we just immediately go to our phones. Like, what do we need to know from there, really? Like, we might have a notification or something, but um, so one of the, the boundaries that I have is like, if I'm spending time with someone, my phone is out of sight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I'm at the dinner table or whatever it is, unless I have some specific message that I need to send, like I keep my phone on silent most of the time and try my best to only use it when I actually need it, which is so challenging because they're really designed to be addictive. But one place I am able to uphold that boundary is in general when I'm in communication with people because you want to be listening. You want to be paying attention. You want to be there with them. And if you're half in your phone, you're not really present, right? Yeah, I'm the exact same way. I, I don't like having phones out when talking to people. I always make sure as well, if you do need your phone for something, like say you're coordinating having other friends meet as well, just to let the person you're talking to know just being like I have my phone on the table right now because you know I'm trying to to meet up with this person as well and let them know where we are type thing and you know I think that's a respectful thing to do with people and so people aren't like oh you're just you don't care about actually talking to me you're just looking at your phone I think notifications is a really interesting one too because I've recently had to do that where I've sat down and went through my phone being like I want to control what notifications I get Mm -hmm. what really deserves a notification you know what I mean or like what, what deserves the sound effect as that's well. a, that's yeah. seriously though because, oh you know what a kid brought that up to me and I didn't even think about it I was listening to um, a kid talking about technology and being young and stuff and he was a high school kid at the time and he was just brought up a good point he's like your phone vi- if it vibrates that's creating like a physical connection to you and you know you get like phantom phone yeah, feeling yeah, like totally. he was just like he just brought up such a good point he's like we are physically connected to our phones like we we think we hear a sound we think we feel a vibration and I just didn't think about it. I was like, oh, my God, we've been completely conditioned to just yeah. react. Yeah. And I also, you know, just speaking of that sort of empathy practice of like feeling your body more and noticing how your body is responding to things. One thing I noticed is that I could physically feel like the um, adrenaline and dopamine uh, squeeze when my text message sound went mm-hmm. off. Sure. Like I really noticed that like I would have a physical reaction that there was a little bit of like. I'm not sure if it was sort of like pleasure, excitement, a little bit of stress hormones, but like I could feel the squirt of like my adrenals just like squeezing a little bit (laughs) every time I heard that sound. And I was like, that is not okay. That is like a Pavlovian dog kind of response going on. Like, and again, they're, they're engineered to be that way. Like the sounds are carefully created by people who are trying to make you have specific kinds of reactions Mm -hmm. to those sounds. Like that's what it's for. They're intended to be addictive that way. So, you know, keeping your phone on silent more of the time. I think is a good practice. When I think our generation as well, um, we didn't grow up with it. Mm -hmm. Like it's a newish thing to us. So I think society has a lot of trouble uh, kind of figuring out what the social etiquette of, of this new technology is. I think actually young kids now are having better empathy and better uh, kind of social rules around technology than even our generation does because they've they've always had it 
Um, so I think I'm actually more, I'm feeling positive about the next generation. Mm -hmm. I also think that the next generation is being raised to be a lot more empathetic than we were. Um, like I grew up in rural Manitoba and, and, you know, in, in the rural communities, like it's a, a man's a man and you got to take those emotions. You got to pack them down real deep. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and that's just kind of the way you were raised. But I think now children are being raised to be a lot more empathetic and to really think about their emotions and, and be connected, which I think is amazing. Wow. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And, yeah. Uh, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I think that there's, uh, you know, sh- there's definitely lots that we as adults can pass on to the next generation, but definitely, you know, uh, we should be open to learning from them as well. Um, yeah, which is really great. Yeah. Uh, I had nowhere else to go with that afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fa- I am fascinated by the, the young kids in the sense where like I look at like Instagram sometimes and Instagram is one of those ones where I really like I'm just like what like is this helpful to me in any way or form like but then that was another one where I had to think about the inflow of content that I was getting because I would get I would have a negative reaction to certain things where I would see like um like really hot buff people all the time and it would just make me feel really crappy and then after a while I'm like well you're the one subscribing to them mm-hmm. it's not their fault that they're putting out this info that's their prerogative so I had to like have a moment where I talk to myself and be like if it's not helping you then undo like unfollow and yeah. that's another and I think that's another thing we have to be aware of too is like as much as you have to listen and say yes there's also you have to take the ability to say I don't want to listen to yeah. this because it's not helpful it's not healthy you have to carry your own content in a way. Yeah. And it, it's kind of a double-edged sword as well because you're you're very much making your own bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for your own sanity, you kind of have to curate it. I had it for a while where my Facebook, I would like just be scrolling through it and I'm like, this is a bunch of crap. I don't care about any of this stuff going on. And then I realized half the people I had on my Facebook, I really was not that great of friends with and I didn't really care that much about and uh, and then I also started subscribing to to groups that I actually cared about the content of. Like I love um, like uh, time lapse videos of people making miniatures, <laughs> <laughs> painting miniatures, like super realistic ones. So I started subscribing to a large amount of that. And now my Facebook is like ninety percent um, st- or time lapse of miniatures being made. And it's amazing. <laughs> That's why I, I always feel uh, always feel honored whenever Jeff likes one of my posts. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like, wow, it made it onto the post. Daniel's the only human I follow it's anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook's like, I thought this is what you wanted. It's like, you asked for this. Yeah. Uh, Except he doesn't make enough miniature videos. Yeah. <laughs> That's my only complaint. <laughs> yeah, so I think that we have this interesting kind of capacity to control so much of our social media environment and what we're consuming. And, you know, I think that first piece of like really noticing how you're feeling and kind of honoring that is really useful so you can unfollow things that make you feel uncomfortable and start following things that you do enjoy which is great but I think the other side of that is that maybe also because we have so much control over what we're um, like we're kind of curating our own experience all the time um, that also contributes a little bit to that fear of discomfort like that Mm. um, that that real sense of like, well, if someone says something that makes me feel uncomfortable, that's not okay. And I want to like literally delete that from my life. Like that's Mm kind of how we're sort of in that that conversation. Um, And uh, actually just earlier today, I was talking to David Hatfield, 
who is an excellent con conflict resolution guy. Um, and he runs a men's group in Vancouver called Manology that's fantastic. Mm. He's uh, an incredibly empathetic person. Um, and uh, he and I were talking about that, like how often, you know, you start a conversation about something innocuous on Facebook and inevitably some someone says something um, and then people jump on that person and it just becomes this whole thing. And so he was talking about somebody who had said something that was kind of, um, you know, rejected or, you know, talked down or like, you know, uh, yelled at in that sort of social, she was sort of yelled at in that social media way. And he had this beautiful metaphor that's been really sticking with me where he said, you know, when um, an opinion comes up or like when a feeling comes up or a question comes up and it's immediately rejected, um, you know, sort of destroyed, uh, shamed, uh, it tends to get s go underground. And so he was talking about how the, the BC wildfires, I didn't know this, apparently some of the fires went into the root system underground. I don't know if you guys have heard about that. Yeah. There's like yeah. oxygen underground, and so the the fire would actually be going under the root systems and then pop up somewhere else, right? And so that was part of what made the forest fire so dangerous. And so he was talking about how when that question, opinion, feeling, whatever, pops up in one place and it's tamped down in that way with without empathy, um, it goes down through the root system and finds some other place to pop up that might be even more dangerous. Mm. And so, you know, the, the reason empathy is so vitally important is because in moments like that, what if that opinion question feeling could come up and we could say huh like tell me more about why you feel that way um, and what that means to you and how we can kind of hear what you're saying um, and you know maybe we want to correct some things or maybe we want to give you some more information or whatever but to just immediately shame someone it is pushing that fire back underground and it's forcing it to come up somewhere else because it doesn't go away like when when you when you cancel or delete someone who has an opinion you don't like it doesn't go away and so David was kind of talking about how we're in this global moment of that and like all of the racism and all of the anti-semitism and all of the you know fear of immigrants and stuff like that that's happening in the U.S. and around is because it was never fully like processed and dealt with from from many generations ago it's just been sitting there waiting for its moment to kind of pop out and right. start having some power um, and so an empathetic practice of really listening and allowing those feelings and emotion to have a safe container and a place to be processed um, will will be the thing that will actually allow us to evolve. While just you know deleting and curating away the things that you don't like, that it doesn't do anything for our evolution. It makes us feel comfort more comfortable, but it doesn't actually allow us to grow or change. It's also easier. <laughs> it yeah, is it's so easier. much easier for me to just to delete my racist uncle from Facebook yeah. rather than <laughs> engaging yeah. with And him. also, again, boundaries. Like, we can't always all be doing that all the time. Yeah. It takes a lot yeah. of labor to be the one that's like, hey, I'm going to engage with this opinion of yours that makes me feel deeply uncomfortable. But I think we do have a responsibility to ask ourselves, you know, especially when we're in whatever position of privilege we have, um, do I have the energy today to have this conversation? Would it serve another person for me to have this conversation today? And do I have enough today for that? And if I do, then yes, I have a responsibility to do that and to teach and have those conversations. At least that's how I feel. This is my opinion. <laughs> um, and uh, and if I don't have that energy today, I don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable. I don't have it. I don't have to do it. It's not my obligation. Um, but it is my responsibility to consider whether or not or not I have whatever it is that I need to actually bring that conversation forth. Mm. Uh, so what I'm what I'm uh, also feeling from all this. So empathy is also something that we can also have for ourselves and should have for ourselves instead of like 
making our instead of uh, you know beating ourselves up because we're we're not strong enough or good enough to to handle things. Um, yeah, it's it's self care as well. You got to put on your oxygen mask first sometimes, <laughs> right? Because you know, yeah. sometimes you just need to think more clearly before you can help someone else in that sense. And I think you need wow. to you need to be able to understand yourself before you can understand somebody else, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's right. that uh, yeah. You need to be able to feel your own body before you can start uh, uh, connecting with someone else's. Yeah, and, and also um, you know that, and I think. Um, other people can help teach us to do that too, right? Yeah. Like it's not a prerequisite for, for having empathy. Like we can help each other learn that kind of right. stuff as well. Yeah. I, I think yeah. you hit it so perfectly. And I think it's empathy is evolution. I think mm. that's honestly like the simplest way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not easy. It's not, it doesn't always work the first time, but eventually it will to the other side. Yeah. yeah and if you get really good at it, you grow extra limbs. Absolutely. That's why we're doing wow. it. <laughs> wow. Jeff, what I what I love about uh, all of our our episodes is that um, I always think that it's going to be um, you know uh, a conversation about one thing, but then in, uh, in, inevitably it always expands into so many other different things. Yeah, and everything's ex- connected. It expands my brain. Uh, my brain is very full, yeah. uh, which is good because I I love learning. Um, yeah. And I love having our, our special guest join us here for this episode. Yeah, well, maybe we should wrap it up now with uh, Daniel's brain being full. <laughs> uh, but I have a little <laughs> bit more room because uh, I want to know, and I'm sure our listeners want to know as well, uh, where can they learn more about you and your work and your projects here in Vancouver and beyond? Thank you. Um, so if you want to do some yoga with me, my yoga studio is called Ocean and Crow and it's on Commercial Drive here in Vancouver. Um, and of course I would love for everyone to read my new book, um, which is called Want, Eight Steps to Recovering Desire, Passion and Pleasure After Sexual Assault. Um, it's easy to find. You can get it anywhere. And if you write me an Amazon review, I'll be forever grateful because that's <laughs> very helpful. Um, and if you want to learn more about me and what I do, um, and all of that kind of stuff, my website is jcpeters.ca. Thank you. Awesome. Also, I'm looking at the book, by the way, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful book. <laughs> Thank you. Just get it just to look at and then work your way into it. <laughs> oh, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm Steve, and you can you can find me writing and performing sketch at uh, Comedy Here Often, and you can find us on Instagram, on YouTube, and I also host and produce a show called uh, Queer's Jokes at Yuck Yucks. It'll be March 12th, Thursday, and it's going to be so much fun. Very, nice. very fun show. Yeah. Uh, and on Instagram, it's at Stove City. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, brides, like, like bridesmaids. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I say it to people. Um, and as always, you can find us. You can find The Fear of Science on all of your favorite podcast players. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, and if, uh, we would love uh, if you enjoyed this episode. Check out our back catalog and share this episode. Uh, be empathetic to us and other people by sharing this episode. And we'll be empathetic to you. (laughs) Um, Thanks again. My name is Daniel. I'm Jeff. And we appreciate you listening.